Well, uh, first thing I realized is I don't have my clicker. It's amazing what one week off does to a person. But uh, not sure how many of you have ever seen the uh, the show Ted Lasso. But uh, it's on Apple TV, and it's about a guy who is a, he was an American football coach, much like the American football that we many of us got to watch some of yesterday. And he was coaching at a school in Kansas, and they had won something like a Division II national championship or something, but where Lasso gained his notoriety initially was this video of him celebrating with his team that went viral. And uh, Lasso kind of came across as sort of this simple, kind of all shucks kind of guy. And so he is invited to take the helm of a football team in England. Now, different kind of football they play across the pond. It's soccer. And so he goes to England to coach this professional soccer team. And what you learn quickly about the character Ted Lasso is that Ted is a guy who doesn't let the people around him affect his mood. This is a guy that exudes positive nature. This is a guy that when the people around him are using foul language, he doesn't do that. People can tell quickly when they encounter Ted that he is just not a guy who's going to be like everyone else. And so while faith doesn't really play a prominent role in the show, those of us viewing it <coughs> excuse me, through a Christian lens can see, you know, that's an example of someone who is trying to always do what is right. Someone who is always trying to bring the people around him up, to lift them up. And in doing so, they want to become better people. And so we're about nine episodes into the first season when all of a sudden something interesting happens to the people around Ted. It finally gets to them. And so the, the, the title of the episode, I think, is Apologies. And so it starts with the owner of the team, Rebecca Welton, I believe her name is, going to Ted and saying, hey, Ted, I really brought you here under false pretenses. I really didn't expect you to be a successful soccer coach. But I brought you here because I wanted to get back at my husband. I got the team from him in the divorce, and this team was the most precious thing to him. And I knew that with you at the helm, the team would just absolutely tank, and it would just make him sick. And so she confesses. And then she says, and he says, hey, I figured that out. But if you'll let me stick around, I think we can make some, you know, we can do some good here. And then in turn, Roy Kent, one of the players on the team, starts to come and he, he makes, starts making necessary apologies to the people that he might have upset or hurt. And then what you see is a domino effect and one person after another begins to apologize. They begin to confess to one another the things they've done wrong. 
And so what happens as a result of that is a stronger bond between the management team at the, at, for the team. It's a stronger bond among the players and among the coaches. And so we see good things happen. Now, it's not some fairy tale like, well, they go on to win some championship. No. They end up losing at the end of the season and they get relegated, which means they, they get kicked down a notch in classification. But what you find is that it's a show about sports that's not really about sports. It's a show that's really about life. And what you see there are people who have this sort of awakening, this sense of renewal, because they are willing to confess to one another when they've done something wrong. And so we're in this series on revival. And three weeks ago we began this series by looking at the necessity of the Word of God. And that if we're going to have a revival in our own spiritual walk with God, it starts by getting back to God's Word. Because as a Christian, we cannot have a legitimate spiritual walk without reading God's Word. In our adult class this morning, Ron Riley talked about Gutenberg and the invention of the printing press and how that sort of changed the landscape of Christianity. And it did because then eventually, it didn't happen overnight, but eventually uh, the Bible was translated into people's languages and they were given a copy of God's Word. Just this morning I got a message from Ashok Budala, a minister that we have sent some support to a couple of times over in India. And he was able to show me that even in the midst of a heavy monsoon season that they're experiencing right now, he said the Lord sent us two people who put on Christ in baptism this morning. And so I saw the pictures of Ashok and his uncle uh, baptizing two new sisters in Christ that we have on the other side of the world. And praise God for that. Yeah. And so even in the midst of obstacles, because I saw in the news some days ago where uh, the monsoon season was especially heavy and there were a lot of people being flooded out in places like Pakistan and India. And so even in the midst of that, you've got these guys that are preaching the word and doing good. But what he said was, he said after we baptized them, he said we were able to put Bibles in their hands in the Telugu language. And so isn't that wonderful? That, that the Bible, God's Word, has been translated into so many different languages and, uh, and that when people are baptized into Christ, they can be given a copy of God's Word in their own tongue. And so we started with the Word and then two weeks ago we looked at the necessity of a prayer life if you're going to experience revival in your own spiritual life. That it starts with reading God's Word, getting back to God's Word. It continues through prayer life. And then today, we're looking at repentance. We're looking at what it means to apologize to God. 
what it means to confess. And it's been a couple of weeks, so let's remind us ourselves of this uh, this working definition of revival that we've been looking at the past few weeks. The work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life, witness, and work by prayer and the word after repentance in crisis for a spiritual decline. Now, what we're talking about is all contained in this definition. You see that the last word in that third line from the bottom is word, the Bible. And then three words prior to that, we see the word prayer. And uh, in, the, in the next to the last line, it's, it comes after repentance. And that's what we're talking about today, church. That we are talking about what it means to confess our sins in the process of coming back to God or drawing closer to God. And there's a wonderful message of repentance in Matthew chapter 3. And let's begin there in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is who, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now I'm going to stop there for just a moment, church, because think about that. How often is there an event where the people of, say, Nashville and Murfreesboro, Memphis, come to Hohenwald? Well, I know some of you are saying, hey, we're experiencing it right now, Oktoberfest, right? No. But seriously... How often is there an event that people come from the cities and go out to the countryside and go out to the smaller places, go out into the wilderness in masses? It typically doesn't happen, right? No. It's usually the other way around. We find ourselves, when someone is going into the hospital, they go to the larger community. When someone is going to take in a major sporting event, they go to Knoxville, they go to Nashville, they go to Memphis. When someone is going to take in a concert, as some of you may have in recent days, then where do you go? You go up and you go to Bridgestone Arena or someplace like that. And so it's usually the other way around. And so what we see is people have been absolutely fascinated by what they heard that is going on out in the region of the Jordan. And so they are coming in masses out to hear what John has to say. Continue verse 7. But when he saw... Many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so, John isn't mincing words, is he, church? He calls out the church leaders of the day and from their faults. He refers to them as a brood of vipers, and repeatedly he calls for repentance. The word repentance appeared at least three times in that passage of Scripture this morning. Now, it wasn't that long ago that this is what our parking lot looked like. Uh, the lines were there, but boy, they were faint and hard to see. And there were cracks. Uh, cracks wide enough that, you know, uh, people with small feet might lose a foot in some of those cracks. I mean, uh, it was, you know, and so uh, if you arrived this morning, uh, you might have noticed that what we had looked a lot different. And so the cracks are filled and the parking lot is sealed. It is striped in such a way that even in the dead of night, uh, you can see those lines in that parking lot. Now, church, let me ask the question. Did we get a brand new parking lot? No. No. We simply made the old one better. And church, that's what repentance is. The cracks are filled in and the lines are repainted. What was once in the process of becoming unserviceable is now once again serviceable in a very real way. And that's what repentance does for our lives. That's what apologizing to God does. That's what apologizing to other people does. That's what confession does for us. It makes us, in some ways, more attractive to be around. It makes us more functional for the kingdom of God. doesn't mean you have to make it all new. It just means that you take what you have and you make it better because you know that you need God. That's what John is calling for when he speaks truth to power and calls out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and says, Hey, y'all bunch of snakes. Who told you about repentance? And he's saying, You all need to get right as much as anybody else. If you read between the lines here, what he's saying is you all are responsible for leading people. He says, if anybody needs to get right, it's y'all. And then he issues that warning that says, hey, you know, the axe is already at the tree. And everything that doesn't bear good fruit is going to be cut down. 
And so that's what He calls us to do, isn't it, church? He calls us to be people who bear good fruit. Because we find ourselves, we take stock of our lives sometimes, and we say to ourselves, wow, I'm not bearing the kind of fruit that I need to bear as a child of God. And then we come back to God, and we say, God, forgive me, because I've not been doing what I'm supposed to have been doing. I'm not bearing good fruit. God, help me to be the person that you call me to be. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, it says, But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so the writer of Hebrews is essentially here saying that under the Old Covenant, that when they would go to the temple, when they would make sacrifices on the altar, whatever the necessary sacrifice was to atone for whatever sins they had committed, whatever situation they found themselves in when they took stock of their lack of fruit bearing, that it it served as a reminder It served as a way of saying, remember what you have done. But that the act of the sacrifice itself, the Hebrews writer is telling us, that in and of itself did not serve to atone for the sin. No, church, we know that that only comes through the precious blood of Christ Jesus. And we praise God that he was willing to shed that blood. It's, it's kind of like, I don't know, I think I've used this example before, but when you were in school and you had to write off. Now, come on. This is a message about confession. Who had to write off? Come on. Okay. Didn't that feel good? Yeah, and you wrote off. And so you would say, I will not. I will not. And maybe it was 50 times. Maybe it was 100. Boy, if you ever had to write off something like 500 times, well, that teacher was really trying to get a point across to you. And But you know what? That was so much better than those teachers who really tried to make it a teaching moment and say, I want a three-page paper on, or I want a five-page paper on. It's like, really? i got to read? i got to do research? You know, but why were they trying to do that? It was because they wanted you to remember what you had done. At Hope Center, something that, that someone might come up to you and say, for, the, for the, the guys that are out at the men's center, if, if you have breached something within community, if you have been guilty of something that someone else was offended by, then they might come to you and say, hey, you know, you know, I heard you say this, or I, you know, I saw you do this, and you know, I really need you to write off the book of James. They will do that. They will come and somebody can come and ask you. You know, I want you to write off the book of James because of whatever. And so, uh, and so, what is that? That serves. It, you're not atoning for any sin there. 
But see, those serve as reminders of the rules and fractions of how you did something wrong. In Donald uh, Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz, he talks about his time at a place called Reed College. I'm not really familiar with Reed College, but uh, he talks about uh, a time when uh, that he and some of his friends on campus built a confession booth. And uh, the the purpose of the confession booth may not be what you think. It was it was not so that people could get in the booth and then confess their sins to someone else. The purpose of the confession booth, they decided, would kind of be in reverse. That somebody could get in the booth and that they as Christians could confess their sins. That they could confess the sins of the church. And he says that, wrote that to his first customer, uh, that he said, Jesus said to feed the poor and to, feed, and to heal the sick. I have never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened. You know, if my ego gets threatened. And then he went on and he said that while there was no mass conversion that night, that, uh, that Miller's friend Ivan... Uh, was able to gather a group of students later to work at a local homeless shelter. And that over 100 students joined Miller's group in an exercise on extreme poverty. And a similarly similarly sized group uh, turned out to hear another member of Miller's group speak on poverty in India. And he says that over time, friendships were created and many considered Jesus for the first time. That confession was the act of humility that allowed those relationships to begin and allowed those relationships to grow. But it started, church, with people expressing, having enough humility to express their faults. To say, this is where I've gone wrong. See, what they were doing as Christians was confessing not the things that they had done, but the things that they had left undone, right? The things that they felt called to do that they had never once done anything about. And they realized that the gospel calls for fruit bearing. And it wasn't necessarily that they were doing a lot of bad things they needed to confess, but that there was a lack of good things in their life that they were doing. And so that's what they were confessing. In Hebrews 10, 8 through 10, a continuation of what we read just a little while ago. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy. We've been sanctified through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Church, that's the part that we gather around this table for. That's the part that we celebrate when we gather here every Sunday morning. That we take time to set aside in our worship gathering 
that Jesus is alive, isn't He, church? Yeah. That Jesus conquered death and He did it for us. But while He was on that cross, that He was willing to lay down His life and shed His blood so that our sins could be atoned for. What good news that is. That is the gospel, church. That is the gospel. And it is in light of that that we should be people who are grateful enough to want to come back to God because He gave us a Savior. That in those moments where we might be walking in faith, we might have enough faith like Peter did to kind of step out of the boat and we take a few steps walking on water. We're doing the right thing. But then the worries of the world, our own anxiety gets in the way. We take our eye off the ball. And where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves sinking fast, don't we? And there's Jesus every single time to reach His hand down and say, right here I am. Take hold of me. And He's pulling us back up. And your faith walk might be one where you say, well, Greg, I've never even had enough faith, enough courage to even step out of the boat. And then I would remind you, but if you're a child of God, if you once made that confession that said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you were immersed in those waters of baptism, then you at least have a seat in the boat. You are a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's time for your confession to lead to having enough faith to be like Peter and be willing to get out of the boat and step out in faith in some aspects of your life. But know that that moment that you start to sink, there is the hand of Jesus right there every single time, church family, saying, here I am. When we call out to Him, and say, Lord, I have not been living the life that I am supposed to live. And maybe it is a time that we have to confess what we've been doing wrong. But maybe it's a time to confess what we have failed to do right. Whatever the case you might find yourself in, whether you know that you have been living outside the body of Christ, that you've made some mistakes, or maybe it's because you're here. You've had your seat in the boat. You're a follower of Jesus. You've just not been the kind of follower that you know you're being called to be. I pray that you will have someone in your life that you will feel comfortable enough, that you will trust enough to confess that sin. I have an accountability partner. Matter of fact, I have more than one. And I appreciate that I can get together with these guys and that I can talk about 
what I've done that's wrong and what I've failed to do that's right. And they do the same for me. It's a relationship built on trust. And I keep talking about accountability and having an accountability partner, someone in your life that you can openly talk to. That you know you can kind of open up your baggage and show them what's inside without them going and telling someone else. That they love you enough to keep it between the two of you. And that you will pray for each other. Pray for a walk that bears fruit and a walk that is everything that God calls us to be. Because having that person in your life is so vitally important. And if you need to come and talk to me, come and talk to one of our shepherds. We're easy to find. But no church family. But like the Israelites who messed up time and time and time again, God is always there to say, I love you and I welcome you home. Jesus took the time to tell a story about a guy who insulted his father, went off to a faraway land and squandered all of his dad's wealth that he got to inherit while dad was still alive. All that was allotted to him, I should say. But he got the money and he went off and he blew it. But then when he came home, where was dad? Dad was on the porch. Did dad wait for him to get to the porch? Did dad make him grovel? No. None of that. Dad left the porch. Why was he there? Because from the time his son left, he had been waiting and watching. And so there's dad running out to meet him. Won't even let him get through his little rehearsed speech of confession and apology. He says, I've sinned. And dad says, come on, let's celebrate. Because he who was lost is found. And church family, that's repentance. That's confession. Jesus tells that story to say, this is our Father. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've been with, I'm right here waiting for you with open arms because He loves us. And maybe you're here this morning and you have never availed yourself of that beautiful gift of grace that is uh, what Jesus did for us on the cross. You've never allowed yourself to come and respond to an invitation and say, today's the day I'm going to be baptized into Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I'm ready to begin walking new as a new creation. Maybe you're here this morning and you just got something weighing on you. You just need the prayers of a faithful body that will say, yeah, we're going to pray with you about that because we love you. 
That's why we offer an invitation. That's why we stand and sing. Let's do it now. What can you watch so